So thanks for thanks for joining me. Oh no, thank you. I'm super excited to be here. It's always I was Yeah, go ahead. So excited. I was so excited when I saw your TikToks. I was about to say I was excited uh when I had a sudden explosion of followers and saw that you were sending me some love. That's always a terrifying and awesome experience. <laughs> I, I was surprised that that you didn't have more followers because your stuff is like so unique. And I get it does that such a lot. A... Really? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why. It, it's at first it was flattering, but now I'm like maybe I have a problem or I'm doing something wrong. But uh, I think it's. I was, I, is it cool if I ask you some questions too? Because your content. Yeah, go I, for I, it. When I saw your stuff, I was just like, okay, cool. Someone else in this club because you're kind of like <laughs> it, it's it's. I think we run in different circles, but we're both covering kind of the same stuff, which is like, I call it like, uh, has anyone, like, have you seen the internet? Like everyone, I don't know. Like there's a few people on the internet who are like, just really excited by the culture in general. But I, the problem with that is like, I can never find them on purpose. There's not really a good tag or anything for what we do. Is that make sense? I mean, like, is it cool that I'm kind of, I, mean, I feel like I'm kind of branding you here, but like, I got that oh, no. gist from what I saw of your work. Well, so here's what I've realized. There's a lot of people covering internet history and internet culture, but it's in different disciplines, right? So yeah. there's this weird thing of like, what is internet culture? Is it is it trend reporting? Is it actual history? Like someone might report on like, or, you know, document World War II. Is it mm -hmm. anthropology? And Everyone does it from sort of a different angle. So there's a lot of people, like there's people who have like much better and much robust Tumblr research than I do, but mm -hmm. they don't they don't come from the angle I I you know I'm coming at it from one. And then two, whatever circle you're in is your audience is gonna change. So it's this really weird thing where it's like there's YouTubers who I think do uh, you know a wonderful job, um, you know documenting the history of Tumblr and they have these huge audiences, but the, the people that I reach have no idea who they are and may never, may never know who they are. Yeah. I, I think, um, so I made one video one time and a larger YouTuber who was relatively like, I think they were fairly young. I think they were still in school and I, I I've been out of school for a while, but they were like trying to do me a favor because they were, they would cover similar stuff. But what was interesting was they would kind of just generally, um, if, if you're familiar with Justin Wang, I'm not sure like big internet. So I, I won't expect you to know, but it's, it's kind of like, there's a, there's a kind of circle of people who cover just weird stuff on the internet. Kind of like, almost like, ah, oh, can you believe this? This is crazy. And it's almost like kind of gross out stuff. Um, but there's like a whole circle of people just like that. I have no idea how this guy found me, but he was like, oh, I got to give you, I, 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 I got to help you get your jump. And the thing is, though, his content struggled, too, when he covered the same subject, because there's not really a, it's like you need that attachment. Like, you can't just, like, tag your stuff with Tumblr and people go, oh, I love Tumblr and they watch it. Like, I've seen people do, like, um, they'll do voiceovers of popular Tumblr posts or 4chan posts or, or things like that. And that's kind of the closest you can get where people are like actively searching it out. And then there's just weirdos like us who are like fascinated by the internet and what the internet does to our society and like just want to look at that like on its own. And I, I don't think there's a good tag for it or anything like that. Like your stuff seems to be more focused about kind of like, um, at least just from the gist of the short period I've been following you, but like, like a kind of the, 
point where it breaches through into reality, so to speak. That's kind of where I've gotten the impression from your stuff. Yeah. Is that fair? That's, is that fair to say? It, that's a good way to describe it. You know, it, it's I've I feel like I've had this issue where I'm like it's like too much information, and I mean I think we're it's just such a new discipline where people again like they don't we don't know what to do with the internet. Like, is it a place? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is it yeah. you know, like, like, how do you, how could you possibly like categorize it? So I feel like what I'm doing is like very much about like, you know, how does it affect our, our relationships, our relationship to our body, other people, yeah. um, which is, you know, it, it's like, is the, you know, is a the field I'm in then, you know, internet history and culture, mm-hmm. or is it, closer to psychology it's it's a difficult question yeah and and that's where i struggle too because kind of you meant you nailed it on the head right from the very beginning it's like we all come at it from different disciplines because i think we all everyone's at this point recognizing how important the internet is whether we like it or not it's like when i started off i was kind of seeing tumblr seeing i I was kind of doing like almost like i wouldn't call it travel journalism but it's kind of the same kind of idea like i was just going to different websites to try and experience the different cultures and see how many different stories i could pick up on and it was crazy but the problem was was like i couldn't it was hard to articulate to anyone what it was that was so great about these places because you generally had to like acclimate to the culture to really appreciate some of the stories you were finding um, and what's interesting about your stuff is you're like, you're finding, like you said, like the way it connects to our physical bodies and our experiences and how the internet's changing that where I'm just fascinated by the crazy stuff that's happening on a daily basis to even just really small accounts. So like, that's where I got the name for my channel and kind of my account is 404 tales because I, I kind of want to cover stuff that, you know, eventually might just might as well have vanished off the internet just because nobody will have seen it. Like it can be really significant things that happen in people's lives. And because it's not, you know, a major celebrity or an internet celebrity, whatever that is at this point, like am I one or you one? I don't know. But like people who there are tons of people like I, like one of my first internet experiences was posting something that I worked really hard on, got the courage to post it. And just nobody saw it. And like that really shaped, I think a lot of how I experienced the internet, just knowing that there are, a lot of people kind of pouring their hearts and souls out onto here and occasionally finding people to, you know, reciprocate that. But, and I, I like, so I come at it from like a fictional standpoint. I, I, I don't think I can ever possibly, you know, tell everyone's story. Cause there's like a billion people who've done stuff like that or have had heartbreak or whatever. And I, I, I don't think there's really a good fictional place to tell internet stories. Like, I don't, or I don't think anyone's done it really successfully yet without having to kind of, pare it down or connect it to the real world in some way. That's um, a huge problem. Um, my friend, Timothy Wilcox, he writes a lot about how like no one has managed to like portray the internet in literature. Like mm. it's always in this weird, you know, or in film either. It's like, that's no actually how I got my start. Yeah. Cause, cause I was the same way with film. It's interesting about literature though. Can you, I'm sorry. I interrupted, but I was like, I'm the film guy. I'm like, I'm trying to yeah. do that with film. <laughs> But with um, literature, it should be, what's the challenge with literature? Is it just the context? Because that's like the main issue I struggle well, with. Well, p- people just don't include tech in fiction. They, they don't know how to, they don't know how to include it. So they, ju- so they exclude it completely or they use sort of like retro tech because it lends to, you know, it's easier to make a plot device or so people think. Um, I wrote a short story 
a while ago that like heavily included like Slack messages and texts. Yeah. And, you know, I, I got a lot of, co- I mean, now I feel like I'm blowing smoke up my own ass. No, 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 no. <laughs> but I got, you know, I got oh. a lot of comments about how like, I, like people just hadn't seen sort of the organic weaving in of Slack or texts without it being this weird other, like, cause you do see books that are just like all text messages or all Slack yeah. messages. But you don't see like the nice middle ground where it's like, it's part of life. It's one fluid mm-hmm. thing, but it, it's not, you know, it's not so over the top that it's distracting. Yeah. And like I initially had challenged myself that I'd only tell stories that kind of existed online, so to speak, because like a lot of the places and the spaces that I run around in online are anonymous or might as well be anonymous where people aren't posting photos themselves or blogging their lives or anything like that. And, um, in those cases, it's even less represented, I feel like, because a lot of people don't know how to tie it back. or It's almost like too abstract for people to get. And I, I completely understand that. But it, it's I think that's where some of the most interesting stories happen, because it's where you're playing with people who are... Okay, so jumping all over the place, probably. I apologize if I do that a lot. But do you think the internet kind of reveals our true selves? Or do you think it kind of like almost like getting drunk. Like it's like you're acting differently because you're on the internet. So that's, I feel like that's the question that everybody's asking, even if they don't realize that's what they're asking, you know? Yeah. Um, I saw someone who's like definitively today, like, oh yeah, people act worse when they're on the internet. And I'm like, or do they, is that, are they just worse people in general? And they're like, is that just, I don't even, you know, I don't think it stops at like, just like trolling. Right. Yeah. No, exactly. Like I have this, so I have a friend who I know in real life, but we mostly talk online. And I mean, it's just, I mean, this is a totally benign example, but Mm -hmm. the thing, the way I act with him and the things we talk about are things that like, I am not that person in the physical world. It, but there's like some digital version of me that he's somehow captured because like we live in different states. So our our relationship is really just over text message, even though we have hung out in person. And I was thinking about I was thinking about that, like, what is it about, you know, existing in this like textual space that just mm-hmm. makes me this different person? Like my politics are different. Um, my interests are different. The kind of music I listen to is different and sometimes it will like reflect back like if I'm alone too much I notice that like if I have like a really busy work day and like my boyfriend's out of town or something I am that text person but if Mm. I'm like out in the world and I'm seeing friends and I'm you know going to the gym and walking around Chicago or whatever I am the physical world me which is like really confusing I call it like Clark Kenting a little bit like it's it's like the real world me isn't necessarily a false version of me. It's just like a different, it's like a Dr. Jekyll kind of hide. Like neither one's really like false or more true, but they are definitely different sides of my personality. I'm a lot more quiet, a lot more reserved. I think in general, you know, until you get me at a party or something like that. But like online, I think I'm a lot more willing to poke people and like kind of not, not antagonize, but like I'll challenge people a lot more. And I don't, and when I hear people say stuff like, and it's like you said with trolling, like, I don't think I'm even trolling. It, it's more like I'm more willing to kind of like, I see it as being more honest in a way because I don't, I, there's less consequences. And because of that, I can be more who I want to be. So I, I don't even know if it's like, it, you. oh, you tweeted something that was really interesting that I was like, okay, I want to talk about this. Um, you mentioned uh, mass media reporting on um, shooters 
and saying something about how uh, this isn't necessarily their true selves. And I was like, that's completely true. Because I'm sure we both run across people who are extremely antagonistic or, or maybe not even antagonistic, like complete opposite versions of themselves that we know in real life online. And I wouldn't say that's like a false version of them, but it's definitely not who they truly are. Like, like some sort of like big reveal, like pulling off the mask. Yeah. Or well, like it's that. a weird, it's a weird thing because I think for some people, like I think for me, uh, because I'm so online, my digital self is sort of like when you have friends who are multilingual who say like, well, you know, I'm one person when I'm speaking English, but I'm another person when I'm speaking Spanish. Mm. And I think the difference maybe is like that for me, but I think for other people, it might be closer to like, you're one person at school in the physical world, and then you're another person at home uh, online. But you're, I mean, those aren't like, that's not like a fake persona, right? Yeah. Like it's its just two different like modes of being. And I think what's confusing is when we think of those differences, I think we're used to it being like holding back somehow or like being more polite or more professional. But mm-hmm. I think like on the internet, like maybe you are more willing to experiment with uh, you know, certain, uh, you know, certain political views or something, or even like not everything you post is meaningful. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I was so scared of this dude a couple of years ago and I was living with, um, my roommate was like very online, sort of like a 4chan style mm-hmm. guy. And he was like, he basically was like, think of all the shit I post, you know, like I'm on world of Warcraft all day, like, you know, flinging slurs at people, but like, you know, like that's, like you know i'm me and i'm 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 not that person who's like you know experiencing like world of warcraft style road rage right yeah and i I, I had never realized i was like oh actually like this guy who's like bugging me like isn't i mean he is annoying but he's not (laughs) scary because i hadn't put two and two together like Oh, people just shit post, which is I, weird for how much I'm online. Yeah, <laughs> you have to, you have to, I think you have to spend like a certain amount of time online until you, you come across someone that you're like, oh my God, this is the worst. This, this is everything I hate about people like embodied in this one person. And then you like, you don't necessarily follow them to hate them or, or you just get exposed to them enough times where you finally see them make a point that you agree with or something like that. And then you gradually realize like, oh, they're just a human being who's very loud about this thing that I don't like. And you tend to, it's interesting you mentioned the bilingual thing. I hadn't considered that. I've heard that that phenomenon before, but I've always wondered if like certain platforms encourage certain behavior Um, because I know 4chan for a fact, like the way the website works, you can post whatever you want, but the way uh, the site boosts, like it's, it's like the way stuff gets to the most visibility is if the most people are talking about it. And the, and the easiest way to generate conversation about something is to get people angry. So over time, you just gradually get better and better. If you want to talk about something, you just format it in the most antagonistic way possible. Um, And in the same vein, I've seen people, you know, complain about like, this comic is really good. Why, why is nobody talking about it? And it's because it's very, very good in the least offensive way possible where anytime somebody brings it up, they just go, yeah, it's good. And that's pretty much all there is to say about it. Meanwhile, it would be something that people will hate, but enough people will like something. So it's just constantly being talked about and it almost drums up this hatred and it causes like a a vicious cycle of people like getting tired of seeing it and stuff. And I see that same kind of, uh, 
like structure impacting communities across several places. Like Tumblr is very interesting um, because it's like, it's almost like uh, improv where you can have a post happen and then somebody else will say something funnier and then it'll get spread, you know, a thousand more notes or something. And then somebody else will say something even funnier, like several months down the line. Like I think one of the funniest posts I've seen on Tumblr in a long time was people sarcastically saying, uh Oh, 2020 is year of the rat. And then they're talking about plagues and how in the twenties there was other plagues and they're like, <laughs> like, like nervously laughing about, Oh, uh Oh, and then it just became people checking in every couple months to be like, yep, this is still getting funnier. Oh God, it's getting funnier. Oh no. And just like, it, it's probably still bouncing around on Tumblr because every time you see it, people are just, you know, we're living more and more into a plague. It just keeps getting funnier. Or, you know, I mean, depends on what circles you're running around in, I guess. I don't know. But no, I think, I mean, it's, it's pretty fun. It's, it's, it's beyond absurd at this point. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's, so there's a couple of things, a couple of directions we can, we can go in. Um, so yes, I definitely, I, so I agree with you about platforms sort of changing the way people think and communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's like happening at two levels. On one level, I think that there's actually sort of like a language difference where like words that are offensive in like real life or like a word that's offensive on Twitter is not offensive on 4chan. And it actually, it's like, that's a, it's a very difficult to articulate and very disorienting thing where like things become like memed and it's, they lose their power. So Mm -hmm. it's actually, it's. And you know it's how they gatekeep, right? It's how that it's it's yes. how any community gate gatekeeps. Yes. The the really weird thing to think about is like, and I don't know how much trouble I'm going to get in for saying this, but like <laughs> when I think of like incels, for example, like to mm-hmm. you know not not necessarily saying all incels are on 4chan at the, or you know there's a yeah over, well there, but, there's an association for sure right, but like an incel might refer to women as holes, right? Mm-hmm. And that's terrible, right? But it's mm-hmm. it's a hostile language to one gatekeep people out so if you're really offended by that you don't belong in that space so it keeps a certain purity and then you use it so much that it actually like loses its potency Mm -hmm. and it means what it means but also it kind of doesn't and when i was thinking about like the mass shooter thing i was it's kind of like that where it's like yes that's like horrifying but if you're in online spaces like if you're surrounded by people who are saying the same thing it becomes a completely different thing and and yeah i mean like i think the i think the media tends to enjoy that you know forgetting about that like you know how could they explain it right you know it's right exactly it's it's completely reasonable and then because because the quickest thing to reply to that is saying like well they're surrounded by people saying the same thing and it's like oh so they also associated with freaks who are saying the same thing and and it's I, it's interesting that people, you brought up memes, like a lot of people like to say memes are like the new language, but for me, it's almost like an accent. Like you can really pick up what communities people frequent by the kind of language they're using. And then at that point, you you kind of just immediately start drawing associations. Like you mentioned holes. It's like even just knowing that is a way to refer to women, it, it almost says something about the spaces you frequent, even if it's not saying like how you feel about women. It, sure. Like, it's, it's definitely, okay, this person has been to these locations and that says something. Um, I, I think you're right. And I, it, I mean, thinking of it as an accent, I think is, is, is really sharp. Um, you know, I, I've had a lot of trouble like, it, like in real life because I sort of speak in like 
this mm-hmm. like right wing oh, Twitter for, lingo. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not right wing for me. It's like I'll I'll toss out memes or or like it's almost like I'll go so deep into memetic language and jokes that I'll forget how many tears in I am. Like be, I'll, I'll like hear a meme that's based off another meme. And it's like, you kind of have to pull out the chalkboard and start explaining to people what you meant when you said something. Uh, and it's never fun. Cause it's like, but it's a good way to like very quickly go, Oh, these are my people or these aren't my people just based on if you hear them mention a word, I had a guy one time, I, I casually mentioned that somebody had mistaken me for like, or called, accused me of being a Russian troll. And uh, the guy was like, you? And like, bam, like right then and there, I was like, okay, so this guy knows what that's about. And like, that told me something about him. And like, it wasn't even like my, I'm the same way with the, the opinions. I think um, it's really easy. Cause like, I come at it from, I don't know, you're talking about blowing smoke. I like I don't like using the term anthropology, but I feel like that's like like the closest I can the word I can use to describe what I do, where I just walk into a community and then watch what's happening like without really participating too much just to figure out what the hell is happening. Um and and sometimes I'll get in trouble because I'll I'll see people misrepresenting opinions online and I'll I'll go oh, they don't understand because they haven't been around these people enough. And I'll try to explain someone else's political opinion to them. And then they just immediately assume that's my opinion and get really upset with me. Um, For me, it's like just a matter of like, I I think the internet is like a good communication tool. So why not, you know, find out what the people you disagree with are saying and what they believe. But a lot of people, I think, get trapped in their own circles and, assume anyone from outside those circles is the enemy, so to speak. Yeah. It's, it's hard because it's, it takes so much immersion, I think to understand whoever the other side is. Yeah. But on the other hand, think like things are undeniably like way too polarized, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like, yeah, not just on the internet. Yeah. it's, It's like any, anytime I see like a new thing trending, it's like inevitably because it's getting missed. Like, totally like bad faith like misinterpreted yeah and it's just like john stewart today did you see that i so i kind of know i saw that he walked it back but i don't totally know what happened he didn't even that was the thing it was he was making a joke and i guess harry potter is somewhat tumblr themed we don't have to get into all the politics surrounding that right now but it's kind of a hot button issue right now because of uh jk rowling people have a lot of different opinions about her so john stewart just you know made he's a Jewish comedian. He made some jokes about certain stereotypes and, and, and uh, like the, or what's the term? Um, Cliches maybe uh, in the Harry Potter movies, like talking about like, Oh, I'm guessing it was about the goblins. I don't even know for certain. He didn't, I think it was like a casual joke. He said on a podcast about the goblins being the bankers in Harry Potter. He said it a month ago. And Newsweek reported John Stewart accuses J.K. Rowling of anti-Semitism. And it was like a very casual joke that turned into an accusation. And then, of course, like the whole it started trending and everyone was talking about it. Fortunately, by the time I heard about it, it had just become a story about how Newsweek sucks. But <laughs> it's hard not to, uh, you know, because everyone just immediately sees a headline and they'll just run with it with their own story. Like, like see how they feel about it and then just, you know, assume they got it. I don't know. It's, there's just too much information for people to process in a way that's, you know, meaningful. But 
Well, yeah, I mean, like, who wants to ever read the full article? Yeah, no, I, I'm, yeah, I'm absolutely guilty of that. Podcasts are in a weird way, like, kind of like, this, like, I don't know, you put podcasts on because you want to hear a conversation, and in a way that ends up becoming the most informative way to get information. Uh, in a weird way, like, new, like, traditional media has become one of the most dangerous ways to get information because they rely on headlines now, and... Like you said, like I'm the same way. I'm just as guilty. I'll see a headline and assume I got the story. Uh, I think that's probably why also like the media seems so anchored to Twitter because it's mm. like the truth is no one's really reading the article. They're following the journalist on Twitter and then sort of like getting the gist of what they believe through their tweets. And I think that's why it's like so important for journalists to be personalities because like no one's really reading the full New York Times article, but they, mm-hmm. they're, they're following, you know, such and such a journalist and they're like, oh, okay, well, she, you know, she's historically like a socialist and she's Christian. So like, yeah, I, the article's probably about this. And, you know, that's actually how people are getting their news. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I felt the same way about um, critics where uh, it's no longer really reliable to get like reviews from stuff from like, Rotten Tomatoes or, you know, it, it's much more important to get your news or criticism or reviews or whatever from sources that you're familiar with. And then that way you can get an idea of what their lean is or what their their biases are. And then that way it becomes instantly much more of a uh, meaningful source of information. I follow a lot of people just because they are on different sides of the aisle and, and stand on different political sides than I do. And it's a very quick way to get like, you know, multiple views on the same subject as opposed to like, okay, Jeffrey Bezos owns the Washington Post. So he may or may not have had something to do with this. Like I, I it's, it's kind of just noise. I, I look at occasionally, but yeah, no, I, I definitely have several personalities that I rely on for, if not getting my news from, then finding out how they feel about the news and then kind of, determining how I feel about it based on how they feel about it. It's, it's, it seems roundabout, but it feels like a much more informative way. Like, I don't know if I see some people getting really upset about something, I know that I should probably also be upset about it. The, the one thing that I'm sort of worried about is I think a lot of important conversations happen in like discords and like group chats and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the thing is like, you have to put yourself out there to get invited into yeah. those spaces, but you can't put yourself out there too much because then you know, you'll upset people and the invitation will be revoked. So there's like a sweet spot you need to hit. And if you go too far in any direction, then you miss the the group chat invite or the discord invite. And then how much information are you missing then? Like, I feel like Mm -hmm. there must be so many, like... You have to tread carefully, for sure. Like, I I mentioned the, is the internet a place earlier? And I... I think it's a place if you're active in those places, like, and if you're going to be active in those places, it's the same as like showing up anyone's home. Like I'd say a discord is like almost like a after school club or something like it. They're very temperamental, uh, uh, temporary, like they can vanish in an instant. If you're not careful or people aren't keeping them up and stuff like that. So you have to tread very carefully. Um, and I think a lot of the most probably well run discords have people who are, like kind of intense with their moderation. Like they're pretty gatekeepy. You mentioned that word earlier. Um, Hot take, but I think it gets a bad rep. I think some of the best communities on the internet are, if not, I wouldn't say they're overly gatekeepy, but they're, it's, it's something they're concerned about. They, they want to make sure the people who are participating in their community are 
you know, taking off their shoes before they walk in the door and paying attention to the traditions and the things that they find important. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's like, if anybody wants to join a community, I, I usually just recommend that you, uh, you know, just don't speak for a while, just observe, try to figure out the way things work. Um, 4chan's like a horrible place. They kind of pride themselves on it, but like, that's, a big thing they will jump on anyone who presents themselves as an outsider. And I think that's almost like become, it's kind of like anybody is attacking the foreign object in the system. And it, it, it forces people to kind of recognize the customs of the board. And I, I think the site's gotten a lot more antagonistic as it's gone on, but uh, so that might not be the best way to handle things, but I think it's definitely been a good way to preserve um I don't know, culture is that I, I don't know if they have intended culture, but then each board and every site, every aspect of 4chan, the one that comes to mind, and I like to reference a lot because I think it's probably the least damaging board on 4chan is Fit. Um, and they just have a sticky where anytime you have a casual question, you're told to consult the sticky. And it's very clear if somebody has been to the board and not read the sticky because it's got it's full of questions that people ask as soon as they show up. And the person is just shamed to hell and back if they ask a question, God forbid, that has already been answered. Um, it's stuff like that, though. I think every website kind of generally picks up customs like that as a way to kind of preserve its culture. Um, I don't know. Tumblr is an interesting one, though. Like, I joined Tumblr, I think, after its peak. And it's interesting. Cause how was, what was the video you found me through? Because I, I saw you shared the Homestuck one, which was funny because I'm not even a huge Homestuck fan, but the fandom is just infamous. So I had to use that one. Um, I think, what was it? I saw a TikTok and it was, maybe it was, it was either about Tumblr or, no, it, it, it was definitely about Tumblr. It was, it, and it was like. Where I had it like um, as a good. Uh, I showed it as like a dilapidated temple that had been like kind of destroyed. No, no, no. No, it was a a, that, that that's a that's a great one, but it was the okay. one where it was like uh, where fandoms come together. But it was like a character. I think. Am I misremembering oh. this? I don't know. You have a, you have a couple that are like you have one that's like Zelda style temple. Yes. Right? Yeah, that was a recent one. I got a lot of attention. Um, yeah. But then the, there's one about character. They're, they're like characters spinning around, I think. Yes. Yeah. I, I've been kind of doing this series of like loading screens where um, I portray like kind of well-known internet concepts as like tips to a video game. And people have been responding to that pretty positively. I, I think it's a stuff that a lot of people know about, but portraying it as kind of a video game makes it a lot more approachable. Um, but yeah, uh, I've done a couple things. Like I, I portrayed like a Twitter mob as like a flock of birds attacking someone. Um, I think that one, the one you at least shared on Twitter was a guy waving a flag, like holding a banner that had um, a Homestuck, which is a popular web comic. That was very popular on 4chan, but the fandom is like, uh, I won't get into in the Homestuck. That's <laughs> There's like probably 18 documentaries on YouTube about how crazy that fandom is. It, what was funny was I tagged it Homestuck because I was like, eh, this will probably get a few people. And it was, everyone was like, why? Why would you, t- why would you remind <laughs> me? And they were just like, not even grateful. They were like, just why have you awoken me from my slumber? It's um, so weird how like, I, I remember that like, there wasn't a day that would go by that I wouldn't hear about Homestuck. And now it's mm-hmm. like, 
I've heard about it a couple of times, but I think like only because I like talk about Tumblr so much. So people feel like they're like, oh, remember that? And it's like, yeah. how did anyone forget? <laughs> yeah, it was such a, it's it's a weird, I think it's been inherited by a couple other people uh, in terms, like the fandoms like moved on from it. I, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you why. Like I'm similar. Like I learned about it entirely through osmosis. Like I think I started reading it because so many other people talked about it as like this, tense tent pole this milestone of like internet culture in a big way i think it was like one of the uh first stories about the internet like it's not technically about the internet but everyone's conversations in the story it, it really rang true if you were friends with people long distance and you never spoke to them you, you kind of develop your own community and your own memes and your own relationships and the story is about four kids kind of trying to meet for the first time, but then the whole world's ending as a result. And I, I think that rang true with a lot of people, especially Tumblr kids. But um, yeah, I, I, I try to do a lot of visual shorthand to explain a lot of concepts to people. Um, when I tell someone like, talk about Twitter mobs, you use the word mob, that kind of summons a lot of different images in your head. But I think it's a lot closer to like it, it sounds overly dramatic i like using the flock of birds you know attacking someone just because it, i think that's a lot more appropriate for what it feels like to get you know like a hate mob uh, if enough people retweet you on twitter the thing we, we were talking about cultures between websites i think twitter's interesting because it it feels like the thunderdome of like 18 different kinds of cultures all forced to live in the same space you have like public figures, you have journalists, you have the trolls, the incels, the like the Tumblr kids move like the the I guess what was once known as social justice warriors are now all on Tumblr it feels or on uh, Twitter it feels like, um, but I, it's like it's like I think Twitter is often seen as just the most antagonistic place because you can say something, piss off a group of people you didn't even know existed. And all of a sudden, you're just getting hate mail and death threats, and, and yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but and it I, has I, like a lot of real life overlap that I feel like YouTube, now, yeah, it's, it's yeah. it freaks me out because I remember, I remember when GamerGate was a big thing, and that seemed to be like just kind of spilling over in every corner of the internet, and it was terrible. But now it just feels like that same kind of vitriol. Where it's like anyone who's even engaging in the subject, you're just like, okay, it, it becomes a very black and white situation. And even if you don't care about the issue, you you feel like you have to weigh in on it or you're a bad guy. That seems to be like just modern politics to me. Like it, there's no longer just you have to weigh in on everything or else you're a monster of some kind. Or even just liking something turns you into that was the thing about, I don't know. Have you spoken about Gamergate or have you been exposed to that a lot? <laughs> I've definitely been exposed to Gamergate a lot. Um, like the the, I, the echoes of it still like haunt the internet, I feel like, in a weird way. It was such a stupid little, it was such a stupid argument, but it became so big somehow. Because it was, it was so, it was so symbolic, I feel. I, I feel like that's really when people felt like this sort of Tumblr style feminism had gone too far, like the the it, it the feminism had, um, I guess like the way I think about it is, uh, if masculinity was the Titanic, um, you know, it was, <laughs> uh, game Gamergate sort of like represented the iceberg. Hmm. See, okay, for me, 
I, it was like, I think I was in enough spaces at the time where I saw kind of each camp building up each side. And the thing that frustrated me the most was how it was like, you're absolutely right. And I think a lot of the people who were pro, I think it was pro Gamergate were like, that was what their driving force was or like feminism or, you know, what was it? The, the meme um, ethics and journalism, like, which I think was completely relevant. But the problem was, was like, everyone was talking past each other. It was like, if you were pro Gamergate, you believed women deserve to get bullied in video games or that they shouldn't be allowed to be game developers. And then like, if you were anti Gamergate, it was because you're a cuck and uh, you are willing to let women walk all over you and you don't care about ethics and journalism. And that it was like, it was almost like whatever side you picked on the story was, it, it was like deciding what kind of monster you wanted to be. Like it, it, it was, just people talking past each other instead of just trying but to figure out why it's It never had a that. chance to, I mean, that was never going to be a, a calm discussion, right? Because it like, it fundamentally yeah, wasn't. It comes I mean, down to priorities. Yeah. yeah. I, it, it, I feel like more than being about the issue, which, you know, is assuming, uh, you, you know, who knows who to believe. Right. But <laughs> it, 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 I don't never, I don't think it was ever really about, uh, like no one really cared about journalism. What they cared about was the feminization of a space. And I, you know, I don't want to sound like I have all sorts of like internalized misogyny, but I will say this, you know, <laughs> in defense of gamers, it's like- I appreciate look, it as a guy. You, I'm, just, as, I'm sorry. I'm just like really excited that you're like, you're sticking your neck out for this. It, it's like, I, I, I think it's an issue that we all became, I became- I was very passionate about it and I was very much on the side you're describing. I think eventually, like I decided that um, I was tired of being attacked for my gender. And like, there was a whole movement that I really did like about that. And it was really kind of eye opening. I think it really kind of eventually was what pushed me onto one side of the argument before I just got frustrated with the entire argument in general. Um, It was, I think it was like hashtag not your shield. And that was very interesting to me where it had a lot of people who were saying, you know, you say you're defending women, but I'm a woman who's upset about this. You know, what now? And it, it, it was interesting to me because it was just like this moment of, okay, so there's actually like 18 different perspectives on this single issue. That's, it was almost like the longer it went on, the, it, the more it branched out into becoming about different things. And then it was wild because like a month into it, when like already like, you know, uh, the founder of 4chan muted the first, like muted the word and then just like actually abandoned the website, which was huge or crazy. And then Reddit was banning everyone who was mentioning the word. And then it was like a month after this, like, it, like in internet terms, that's all historical stuff. And then it was like, almost like, you know, traditional media felt like they had to weigh in on it. And that was the first time where I was like, oh my gosh, they have no idea what's going on, do they? Because it was such a you know, one-sided perspective. Anytime anybody weighed in on it in traditional media, it was like, you ask yourself, why do people care about this? Because it was about like, you know, (laughs) why are people protesting women getting bullied on the internet? And then they, like the traditional media would be like, I don't know, trolls. And, but that didn't explain why the internet was like on fire at that time. Um, But, uh, and then that law and order SVU, did you ever see that? 
Oh yeah, I, I, I think I, I think... watched it later though, like twenty. God, I I remember watching it in L.A. with my friend, and I was already in a bad mood. <laughs> So it's like 2017 or something. It's It's hilarious because it was like, I think that's what finally ended it. If I had to be honest, like because it portrayed the entire event as so ridiculous um, where like just really misrepresented everything where it was supposedly coming out as anti, I can't remember positions of everything. And it was, it was pro women and pro women being able to play video games and it had like a woman getting beaten up in a bathroom at a gaming convention and then ice cube asked her what happened. And she said they leveled (laughs) up and it was so ridiculous that it finally, like, I think it put the whole thing in perspective for everyone. They're like, this is stupid. This is all stupid. Let's stop talking about this. And then I think uh, Trump got elected soon after that. So we, we found something else to worry about. I mean, I don't think people ever really did stop talking about no, it. No, they didn't. They were, they moved. They never stopped holding a grudge. It never ended in for a lot of people. I think a lot of it, it, it's interesting because a lot of the lines that were drawn during that whole thing, I think, are very much still present today in a weird way, like almost leaking out into the real world where I think people are. And, no, and that's the thing. Like you're talking about game. Like I'm not, I don't, I admire what you do because I'm not, you know, diligent enough to kind of keep track of all this stuff and, and record it and try to make, I, I like telling stories and I like making like, you know, coming back to it a while later and telling a story in a way that kind of gets to the emotional core of it. Not so much like the facts that were present. Uh, but like Gamergate was huge. And I definitely think it would, should be in a, textbook of some kind but i don't even know where to begin or how to start that it Uh, probably has been taught in college classes but like it'll probably be like i bet it won't it would be like the svu version right like it's gonna be like yeah for some reason the internet just decided they really hated women in video games abruptly so here's the surprising thing right so we were talking in the beginning of the conversation about how you know there's a lot of different people who are chronicling what happens online all Mm -hmm. in different spaces I think some of the best writing about the internet um, comes out of academics who really? are like really, but no one knows who these people are. Nobody knows their names. Nobody knows, knows their books. Like I read, a, and I'm, I've been like playing this book nonstop for like okay, months hit at me. this point. I'm very um, eager now. It's, it's a book about emo and it explores how the emo um, fandom really like exploded on MySpace and Tumblr. Wow. And it's like, this is, it's great. It's a, a but you know, someone's such a get small some... bit of it though. Right. Like it's right. hard to, it's yeah, it's hard to, it's like, I, I want to read that. It, it's the, <laughs> I was not part of that space whatsoever, but I'm fascinated by it because it probably spawned out into something else that I'm interacting with nowadays. Uh, I don't know. But it's, the, the uh, thing is someone's going to, someone's going to write an article that is, very similar to this book for like BuzzFeed and that, and it's going to go viral. And then that person who wrote, it's going to get a book deal and they're going to write the pop version Mm -hmm. of that book. And then it's like, well, no, you know, and the the academic work is never going to see the light of day. And you see this happen like all the time, but there's so, so many like really, really great academics. And it's, I actually think it's a space in academia that hasn't been touched by sort of like the craziness because people say like, you know, people are, are real about what's going on and like what the implications are, at least at least from my perspective, which I hope is like sort of 
moderate centrist you know i try not to side with, with that. yeah i appreciate that about you because i feel like everything is way too crazy for anyone to try and take on this task in anything but a you know i'm not going to weigh in on this i'm just going to tell you how it's happening uh it, it's like I, I think you come onto the internet and you stay in your own little space and then eventually something happens that kind of like forces you to you know like evacuate that space whether it's like a prominent celebrity figure within that space is exposed or does something that's messed up or your own politics change and you realize like, I gotta get out of here. Or maybe you just, you know, very carefully and and diligently move on to the next space that you think is right for you. But for me, it's like, I've just, I, I just find myself bouncing from one place to another. And it's really frustrating to find, you know, or to struggle to find someone who has that kind of, you know, tries to be moderate. Like I, I really appreciate you doing that. And like hearing you talk about the the feminist aspect of Gamergate in a not, you know, as if they're not holy crusaders. Cause as I feel like every mainstream media covered that story, it's not even that I disagree. Like that was an aspect of it. Like there were feminists who were getting, you know, dead animals mailed to them and stuff like and that. And the harassment's but, like crazy and the, the, it's scary as fuck, but like but that, no one's not all. Yeah. That, right. It's collateral damage. And I, I mean, I hate to say this, I'm not minimizing what the harassment people experience yes. because I've experienced it on a small scale myself. Yes. And it fucking sucks. However, like no one has the balls to say that like, you know, we've, we've closed down. There's very few masculine spaces and women do come in and they use their sexuality and they break the space. And mm-hmm. then that's why you need to use hostile language and behavior to keep them out because it yeah. does change the dynamic. And it's it, people are too scared to confront that. Like the answer to that isn't harass women out of town. It's, mm-hmm. well, how do we, you know, how do we, how do we make sure that nobody's being taken advantage of? And how do we admit to ourselves that yes, women do take advantage of men with their sexuality. It happens. And that doesn't mean all women are sluts or whatever, but it's, it's real. And we need to protect against that just as much as we need to protect against women being, you know, being on the receiving end of sexual harassment. Yeah. I think that's why the incel quote unquote movement has probably happened just because it's like almost like the only safe place for them to kind of group together at this point at is under that banner of like, we've been forced out of everywhere else, so to speak, where I like, I I'm frustrated with women and I feel like I'm not allowed to be frustrated with women anywhere uh, without being labeled as a monster. So they've kind of almost taken up this, you know, that's the flag they're waving now. Like, okay, we're monsters. This is us now. How do you feel about the fem cell movement? Oh, I love them. <laughs> yes. I don't, I just want to ship them. I, I've, I've like, I don't know. I want to tell like a, uh, when Harry met Sally, it's how story where they overcome their differences or something, but I don't know. I just see, I don't know. It's the fem cell space was so interesting to me when I, when I discovered it. Cause it was like, Oh, they're, they're going through various. It, it made me realize that women have a lot of different, uh, criteria they're looking for. And it, it, it can, it can leave them feeling just as, um, bitter as men, which I, I guess, you know, like the, the idea of a spentress isn't anything new, but for me, it was like the first time I'd seen, I, I always assumed they were fine, you know, just doing their own thing at home, but no, there, there are women who are unable to find a partner, unable to find love and are very bitter about it. And I guess that was kind of a revelation for me, uh, I guess just cause I haven't met anybody like that in real life, but I don't know. I'm curious about your take on that because I've heard you talk about incels a lot, but. Well, so the, th- the thing about fem cells is like there's 
you know, and I, th- I think that this is sort of like an underrated experience. Um, you know, everyone says, well, women can at least get sex, which I think mm-hmm. misunderstands female sexuality. Like women don't just want to like get railed and, you know, call yeah. it. It's not, the, I mean, <laughs> what, but it's a different, not, yeah. but not every woman can get sex is the other thing, which is mm-hmm. like the, the really overlooked part. I mean, I think there's a, I, th- I think it's very difficult to be an ugly woman because you are made invisible is the first thing. Yes. And two, it is so hard to be the ugly friend at a party where it's like, you know, you let's let's say like you go to a friend's birthday party. It's a house party. You you know, you're kind of frumpy. You know, you, you, you your your sexuality, your appearance isn't your whole thing. But you're, t- you know, you're chatting with your girlfriend. You're having a great time. And she's super good looking or she's even just a little bit better looking than you. And then a guy comes over and suddenly you're invisible. Sometimes mm. you're less than invisible. Sometimes you're told to go away. And that yeah. is really, really common. Um, oh, and it really? happens in the workplace. It happens at parties. It happens at restaurants. And you can only, you can, the first time you experience it, it hurts your feelings. You get over it. The second time it becomes a, and then it finally becomes a pattern. And how couldn't you become bitter? Is it, it's different than the male experience, which I, you know, I agree. It's, with yeah. I was going to say, I think for guys, it's always a feeling of um, personal failure. Yeah. I, I can imagine that'd be like a lot worse for women just because it's almost a feeling of helplessness. Like there's not anything you can do about the situation for guys. It's much more of like a, uh, a challenge that you're not overcome. You're not succeeding in, or you have to repeatedly fail over and over again. Um, yeah. So like for a lot of women, it's, it's more of a, well, this is just how it is kind of thing. Is that what you're kind of saying? Like, it, it's almost like a, um, yeah, you, are, it, you it, aren't in the club, so to speak. Yeah. And you know, I, I think that every woman, and this is another hard truth that I don't think, you know, anyone's going to want to come out and say, but it's like every woman to some extent, it internalizes this idea that they are a sexual object and mm-hmm. when you can't even get objectified, that is like a personal failure and an insult that is so hard to talk about because you're supposed to be like rah rah girl boss and like you don't yeah. need that shit. But like everyone's it's hard to open up about it without like you know feeling like you're betraying the gender or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's so yeah. many, there's so many layers here, and it, I mean, it's it. On the most fundamental level, right? It's it just fucking sucks to be the person who's invisible. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think for for guy, it's something. I mean, I can speak to having personally struggled with where I, I think it's like a modern guy problem where you're made out to be a monster while also being shamed for not being enough of a monster. Like it's a very weird dichotomy where you have to be you know, be confident, but not too confident. And and then you're kind of just lost feeling like you're failing without really understanding why. Um, I don't know. I, I relate to a lot of the incel guys, but then also you feel the need to kind of distance yourself from them for that same reason. You, you, you want to tell them it's easy, but you also recognize that or, or like it, you want, I think it's the reason why pickup culture is such a big thing for guys, because it's this idea of like, no, 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 no. You just haven't figured out the secret yet. And it's like pitching this idea that like, oh, you can be ugly, but you can still get like accomplish all your dreams and find exactly the partner you want. And it's almost if like I'm I feel not like- mistaken. I think in like the first incel forums were actually reactions against pickup artist forums. Like reactions, like, like being not, oh, like being upset by them. Being like, 
who are these fuckers? You know, like fuck uh, these guys. They're they're wrong and they're annoying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the first time I got exposed to incels was like the R like brain cell, one of those early subreddits. And I just remember being like, oh man, these guys are really self-defeating. But then you kind of get into it and you realize like a lot of these guys are just like, I don't want to say never stood a chance because that almost is like it's like confirming like, oh yeah, you should just give up. But it, it's, it's, they've been uh, just kicked down and then repeatedly kicked in the stomach. And it's no wonder they're angry about stuff. Um, there's a psychologist on YouTube. Uh, he's he streamed on Twitch a lot too. He's named Dr. K and he'll, he'll actually, he's been like trying to get an incel on stream forever or a person like self identifies as an incel. And what's interesting is like, I think once a lot of them come on, they kind of admit like, well, I don't personally identify as an incel, but then you listen to their stories and you're like, you're, you're an incel. Like that was why you were, <laughs> in that community. And a lot of times it's like, they just had one really unfortunate experience that that was enough to make them like, never want to try again. And it's, it's a interesting, I don't know. It's weird to think that like, that wasn't even like a, do, do you know when like that term first started getting used? Cause I didn't even realize there were like forums. I, I first got exposed to it on Reddit. I assume that's where it came from. So I think it, let's see. I, I my gut tells me I'm remembering 2013. But I think that's wrong. I think it might wow. have been 2008 to 2009. I can let me, wow let me even check. earlier in the media think, at least. Let me yeah. I think for me, me it was check. like the first time I got exposed to it was like 2015 or 2016. Oh, 2000 2014 actually. I was I was okay. totally wrong. So I, I was I was right to remember. Ooh, you I scared me. I was like, like, where were they hiding? <laughs> I was just so, like. It, it was a term that had been used there. I feel like the history has gotten muddled because oh, there of course, was, yeah. It's there a, were it's a involuntary monster now who were on um, this one, you know, this one forum. It was just, it was this, it was a support group. It was very much in the style of like mid nineties, like weirdos who were, you know, on message board supporting one mm-hmm. another. Um, but I actually, I think it's, I think it's just a, it's, it's kind of shitty to say that. And it's wrong. I, I suspect that, uh, you know, this woman had started this involuntary celibate forum. I don't think that's actually the lineage of the modern day incel. I mm-hmm. think actually that the truth is um, in the early mid 2000s, you had pickup artistry had, had this huge explosion um, and like these like sort of masculinity grifters. And then the game became a big deal. It was in like Barnes and Noble. And then um, How I Met Your Mother, that one character yeah. was sort of a pickup artist. Wow. So this was super annoying to people, especially to people who. So it was a lash like, back against it. People saying like, I don't want to be. Yeah. So there was a, a suite of like forums and I think they're called the PSL forums, like uh pickup artist, hate slut, hate. And then there is another, I, I might be misremembering. Um, you should, ch- everyone, anyone listening and uh, <laughs> you, you Jack should check out Nama Cates who she, she has a podcast called incel and she's like an incel historian. Um, wow. And she does really great work. She just ha- she actually just published an article today in unheard um, about. Oh, great. How okay. Get misrepresented with it's her. a subject that completely depresses me, but it is like it's a so, central so reading sad. at this point. Yeah. It, it's um, it's definitely a sign of the times. I think I, I was just bringing up how it's like it's such a pervasive subject now, where it's like a word that's like almost lost all its meaning at this point. Where you can say it means involuntary celibate, but you ask like eight different people and you'll get eight different definitions for what it means. Um, but yeah, 
I th- yeah. But I think it's worth being kind of pedantic about what all these different labels mean, too. Because, like, when people say incel, they kind of mean, like, someone who's, like, in right-wing sort of, you know, or, like, coded as right-wing internet spaces. But that's like, not really right. Like, alt-right has become, like, such a buzzword also, where it, it's almost, like, antagonistic. Uh, yeah, right-leaning. But even right-leaning has kind of lost some of its meaning. It, it's totally. It's almost just, like, traditional or, like... It can even mean like anti-sex in some cases Um, or it's like, I don't know. It's worth being pedantic. I completely agree. Um, But language changes. So we were talking about it. The, the, the mimetic accent, so to speak, like it, it, the words are used in different ways to define different kinds of people in different communities. So it can mean different things to different people, just depending on where you are. Yeah, but, uh, and so it's it, kind of like almost become a. If I had to describe it, I would say it's like a catch-all term for just frustrated men, or like like men who feel like they're just like I'd say specifically even like heterosexual men, but even I'm sure there's gay uncells out there and stuff like that. I don't know. Yeah, once you like uh, get deep into the community, there's I mean there's all kinds of incels, um, and I think like it's even hard to do a taxonomy. Um, because there's like different, like there's what incel means to outsiders. There's what mm-hmm. it kind of means if you're like very online. But then there's like the actual community and there's different incel philosophies. And it's it's like how, you know, how could you possibly describe it accurately? It's so, it's so vast. It's broad. Yeah. And like, that's the problem. I was, you were talking about like academia doing a good job of covering stuff. But then part of me is almost like, how do we decide what's worth covering and what's not? Like it, it incel is clearly a big one and you could easily that could be like a professor of inceldom um but it i don't know i like this is where i retreat to fiction and interpreting things because it's like for me i when i get when it gets down to like the dates and the locations and the times and the, and the turning points i start to lose interest because for me it's more i'm more interested about the emotional core of it and for me it's like that's that frustration i'm describing i think a lot of guys are feeling like you mentioned, they, they, they feel like they're forced out of these spaces. They don't feel like there's any kind of place for them and they go online. And for me, that's what the incel is. It, it's kind of just like Ronin is an exaggeration, but it, it's a it's a kind of a person who's, you know, accepted this burden of I'm going to be alone forever. And they found some camaraderie in other people who've kind of taken on this identity as well. Um, I, I and I think that's what fascinates me about it, especially like that's why I brought up the fem cells because it's an interesting thing for me because like I think from an outsider's perspective, you'd be like, oh, they should be perfect for each other. But it, it, they're completely dealing with completely different issues, even though there's a lot of, you know, kind of overlap there. Um, the term Stacy, do you think that was a fem cell thing or an incel thing first? I think it's probably an incel thing first. You think so? Okay. I guess that would make sense. It's funny because like, that's one of the few lingo that I see like overlapping in both spaces because the fem cells have their own language for obvious reasons. But like that was one of the words I noticed because a lot of women would derogatorily refer to their own kind of like what you were talking about with your friend uh, or, or friends you've been with. They would be like, oh, this uh, a Stacy that I was with and stuff like that. Though I haven't honestly spent that much time in all these spaces. Like, I, I try to go to as many different places outside of my comfort zone as possible. But then it's like, also, you know, you can only take so much psychic damage before you like, I got to get out of here and, and look at something. You can else also like only get so deep without like a certain amount of activity. Right. Like there's stuff is so? behind. Like, walls, I, I'm fine. You 
I, I feel like a lot of people are more than willing to share their stories online, even if there's no one to listen. Um, it's interesting to me that the term trauma dumping became a thing recently. Cause I think that's probably, I don't know. That's for me, that's just the internet. Everyone's constantly kind of like trying to tell their story to anyone who could listen um, to the point where you kind of have to moderate that sort of thing. Um, I don't know. It, it's, but it's go ahead. I think, well, I mean, I think trauma dumping is what happens when you're very online and you try to take it. Yeah. Outside, that's a good way. You know? Yeah. It's problematic. Yeah, it's it's everyone's so eager to share and to be witnessed and stuff like that. And and I think the Internet's been good for that. A lot of people I've heard say, like, oh, that's the problem with the Internet. Anyone back in back in the good old days. And I, I've heard this from people who could be described as incels. Uh, it'd say, like, back in the good old days, people would just, you know, bottle it up and keep going on their way. And I don't know. And th- their theory there is that, like, you'd get over it eventually but I, I don't know I, I personally i feel like the internet's been good at least in the sense that like you can find people who are suffering like you and you can relate on that stuff and find out you're not alone on things and if it that's like probably the most important thing about it but i think a lot of I people who aren't in theory yeah right? well, good in theory yeah because yeah, i think fair. if you if you have like this totally disembodied expression of your angst and it's only happening online that's like mechanically the same as just like keeping it bottled in. Like at some point Hmm. you have to do something. Find a real world equivalent. Yeah. And like Hmm. do something isn't, you know, like shoot up your high school. It's like, (laughs) you know, go to a support group or, you know, go, you know, lift at the gym or something. Yeah. It, it, yeah. You got to hug people offline. That's the only (laughs) downside. Um, The little hug emoji or gif isn't going to cut it. Um, but yeah, it's a place to start for me, I guess. But maybe the problem is, is that it's forcing people to try and get that, you know, reward online exclusively, or, or it's like, it's like a drip feed It's like just enough to keep them going, but not enough for them to like actually go out in the real world and try to find that same kind of affection or they community. They probably don't think that they can find it offline. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I haven't done a whole lot of my own long-term fiction it's something i'm working on it's hard with animation because it can be just so time consuming how but, long um, do your tiktoks take uh, like that tumblr the one so the the single character ones those are only taking about a day i was actually doing that for like that inktober thing but it's not inktober because it wasn't ink it was all <laughs> digital 3d uh, animation but um yeah it's something i've been trying to get you know like the internet i i've from the beginning, I'd say I've been working on it close to 10 years now. Um, I, I knew I wanted to tell stories about the internet because it's just, you know, it seems really important. And I, there wasn't really anybody doing what I wanted people to be doing. But the problem is, is animation is extremely time consuming. So I recognize I had to get, you know, really fast at it. So I that's like everything in my work has been, you know, structured and trying to get faster and faster uh, it can take me anywhere between a week, a day, or I've worked on stuff for months before. But usually that's because I'm, I'm writing and I'm wanting to get stuff right. It, it really, the idea of putting something out on the internet that I might eventually regret really troubles me. Um, I, I, I try to go for timelessness and I feel like I've had a decent amount of success. Um, of course, there's like, 
there's certain modern thing. I, I try to put like a little bit of modern touches in my stuff. Like I'll put in a meme that's popular in the moment and stuff to kind of like let people know like this is happening here and now. And I, I think when you when you put put in like little localized stuff like that, people like um like the the homestuck thing. I put in that one thing that was enough to get a lot of people like, oh, this is about me. But uh, the trouble is, is you know like a lot of that stuff changes in context. Like I remember at one point I was I made a video about. Um, sometimes you have to argue with people on the internet. And I, I think that's something I've struggled to um, express to people why I like arguing with people on the internet sometimes. Like if it's a subject that I think is important enough, I think you should definitely not be afraid of, you know, speaking up to a stranger and, and just kind of pushing back on it. Um, if only for the reason of getting better at defending the stuff you believe in. But I, I made a, I made an animation about why I think it's important to argue with people on the internet. And I, I, tried picking the most uncontroversial stupid opinion at the time that I thought everyone would go, yeah, you should tell this person they're stupid. And that was the anti-vax movement. (laughs) And uh, at the time that was a much smaller thing. Um, And like now anti-vax is a whole different definition than it did at the time I made that video. But um, so it's taken on an entirely different context and that's just been a good reminder that I should make stuff quicker and uh, not <laughs> expect that it's going to remain timeless forever. But um, at the same time, it's important to me to get like the emotional, get to the emotional truth. And I think that's still there in that uh, one thing, which is emotion. I, I think internet fights get a bad rep where people think it's a waste of time. But I think, you know, it, if it's not a good way to change the per, uh, the mind of the person you're arguing with, it can be a good way to change the mind of people who are, you know, watching you get into the argument. So I mean, I think it's a good way to challenge how much you yourself believe in something. Cause like, even yeah. if you get caught up in the argument, I don't know, I've like defended stuff online and I've been surprised at like, Oh, this doesn't really, like, I'm really into it, but I'm like, this doesn't really feel right. Mm-hmm. Or like, why, yeah. do I, why do I want to defend this? Yes. And it's usually it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I've been surprised by the reasons. I mean, what, one of the most surprising inter- internet arguments I've ever gotten was I was defending Mark Zuckerberg as intelligent. And mm, I was like, I didn't even yeah. realize that I'd had a horse in this race. You know, That'll like, happen. Where, where yeah. Come from? <laughs> where you just go, you, you, it'll start as something else. And then you'll find yourself pivoting. And I found out like, and it, it met meeting someone like this in real life, where a lot of people are just extremely talented at arguing and will back you into a corner where you're, argue, you're defending something that you don't even want to defend. And it, it's one thing on the internet because you go, Ugh, why am I doing this? This is stupid. I'm leaving. And in real life, it's a much, I don't want to say, it, it can be scary in the hands of a person who is a jerk. And it oh, basically, totally. effect, yeah, it effectively becomes gaslighting at a certain point where a person can convince you that you're defending something stupid actually, and just completely manage to box you into a different corner. Um, so yeah, like argument online, I think is, and I'm seeing a lot of it uh, like carry over into the real world in scary ways where people who are, I don't know, I've heard people describe Steve jobs as having like a reality distortion field where he could just get whatever he wanted. And like you would, end up agreeing with him. And then like 10 minutes later you go, why was I agreeing with that guy? And I see a (laughs) lot of that on the internet where uh, people who are talented with words and, and, and logic can like convince people of a lot of different things. And um, 
I think that's something worth paying attention to. So that, that shows up in my stuff a lot. That was, and it's also a fun excuse for me to animate people fighting and I like anime and stuff like that. So, uh, it's, it's a fun excuse to animate fun things, but, um, yeah, I, I try to, yeah, it's like, I want to explain a lot of this stuff to my parents and it's <laughs> almost impossible more often than not, but the, the kind of visual metaphors I work out in my animation makes it a lot easier. It's, it's hard to, I mean, all of this stuff is really hard to explain to people who don't have firsthand experience with it or have like a different kind of firsthand experience with it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think what, I think what you're doing is like a worthy project because that might, you know, you can only get so far with words at mm-hmm. some point you really need the visual and not a lot of people work with metaphor as it relates to the internet. It's all very like, we still seem to be navigating how to explain what exactly this thing is. It's crazy. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm constantly in my head trying to work out a visual language that I can quickly go back to, like I've been struggling with a way to kind of present streaming in that it's simultaneously showcasing something in real life, whether it's somebody playing a video game or walking down the street or just talking to people. But then there's also the element of, uh, the audience, the people watching it, that's its own community. And it, it's a, it's like the metaphor I keep going back to for that is like, it almost feels like watching a football game or some other sport arena type thing where it's like this massive crowd of people all gathered around. And a part of the fun of watching streams is kind of just being one person in this whole mass of people who are all like, and you can, you can't even read, for some of these popular streamers, you can't catch individual messages. It's just like this roar of thousands of people reacting to something. You only get kind of glimpses of stuff. So I'm, I'm working on an animation right now that I've been working on for a while where I'm not even trying to, it, it, the, I haven't even started. I've, I've started a little bit on the animation, but it's more so that I'm trying to work out the metaphor in a way that's clear to people. Um, I, I want to show how, scary that can be as a streamer it's kind of uh have you ever streamed anything or like done live stuff before oh man i yeah i i actually got in trouble on a stream not recently but like a couple of months ago because i Mm -hmm. kept reading the chat but i forgot that i was on camera right so it's like they the the guys who are running the thing could see me reacting (laughs) to the chat and they called me out they were like you know you have to stop looking at, you have to stop looking at and responding to people who are just like trolling yeah. you. I'm yeah. Oh, so that's interesting. So it was a chat that was kind of antagonistic. Yeah. Interesting. And, I, and the, the fucked up thing is I have this one troll. This guy has been like following me around online for God knows how long. Hi, one guy. The same, <laughs> if he's listening he right always, now. He always posts the same kind of shit too. It's just like random, like anti-Semitic, uh, you know, like your ugly stuff. And it's like, it's so absurd. It's like not even really hurtful. Mm-hmm. And like, I still felt compelled to respond. And it's just yeah, like, it's hard. Cause it's like, I don't, I think I've only had one person kind of like that. And they just got bored with me after a while. Cause I don't post frequently enough. And um, it's, it's yeah. Because like the typical logic is, Oh, just ignore them. They'll go away. But like, that's almost its own kind of interaction. Like, cause it, in more places than not, the internet kind of shows if someone's seen your post or not. Like, and like, because of that, if you try to ignore them, they're still like, ah, but they saw me, they know I'm here kind of thing like that. And it's, it's bizarre. Um, 
interacting with people on that level uh, and talking about visual metaphor, something that changed my perspective of the internet completely was uh, they were talking about cybersecurity. And they were talking about, they said the difference between picking a lock in real life and picking a lock on the internet is in real life, you only have to make the lock good enough for if somebody happens to be in your neighborhood who knows how to pick a lock. And the chances of that are pretty slim. But on the internet, everyone is in the same place with zero distance between them at the same time. And when you think of it that way, it makes a lot of the you know antagonism and hatred make a lot more sense. And I, I try to portray that in my stuff, but it's hard because it's like you, you can't show everyone being in the same place at the same time. That's a lot of people. But I kind of have everyone just like teleporting everywhere or just like there's no one walking anywhere. They're all just kind of appearing because that's what it kind of feels like when you sh a lot of people show up to a place. It's just all of a sudden it's like when you uh, you, you you tweeted one of my videos out. I just didn't know what was happening. I just had, you know, new followers all of a sudden. And then I had to, you know, I'm like, okay, what's happening? I don't know why. And eventually got down to your notification and I was like, oh, okay, this is good. This is good news. But it's <laughs> that moment of like, did I upset someone? Did someone? Yeah. And then like another funny thing was um, someone ripped my content and posted it onto iFunny. Uh, and it got a lot of love there, but I only found out about it because a lot of people started migrating their way over to YouTube to tell me. Like, fortunately, someone recognized my work on iFunny and left a comment. Um, but it, it's it's just funny how, like, you need a name to kind of find people. But once you have that name, everyone kind of pours in. Like, there's nothing, there's no barrier all of a sudden as soon as you have a name or something like that. And it's, it's uh, like, even just beginning to explain this to people who aren't terminally online is really, really challenging. But it still, like, feels really important to me to break that down in a way that people can appreciate it, you know, without having to like sit them down and say, okay, here's what streaming is. This is the technicalities of it. Cause at the, at the end of the day, I don't care if they know how streaming works. I just want them to know, Hey, there are thousands of people gathering around to watch this one guy. And it's kind of an intense experience. And you might not get that just from looking like you can send someone a link to a stream and they might not, they won't understand what's happening and they won't understand what, why it's significant. Um, but then if you, you know, show it as like a Roman Colosseum with one guy, you know, getting tomatoes thrown at him, it's like, okay, I know what that means. <laughs> like, I, I'm familiar with that experience or, or the kind of danger of that. But it, it's, it's hard because you have to be consistent across all things. And I think um, like one thing I've been really playing with a lot is I think shame it's kind of the closest you can get to like physical pain on the internet. I think that's why so many people resort to it so quickly. And I think that's why the term cancel culture has like become so popular. Cause I think it's just a lot of people trying to, you know, feeling like they can't do anything else, but publicly shame people. And I think if you're not online enough, that just comes across as cancel culture or, you know, whatever you want to call it. I think it's absolutely a real phenomenon, but I think a lot of people, I think it's a, another kind of, talking about it. it's, it's a buzzword that's kind of lost its meaning or a lot of people don't recognize it for what it is but it, it's in my eyes the only way you can really harm someone on the internet is to shame them it doesn't necessarily mean like you know doxing them or uh you know posting what they're 
they said one time or whatever, it, it can just be, you know, embarrassing them somehow. But I think it's a go-to tool for a lot of people to cope with someone doing something they don't like. They, they can just have to resort to shaming them. So that's a good, quick visual shorthand of someone being hurt on the internet. It's just, you know, having them get something chucked at their head or hit in the face with something. That's a really good point that there is no way to, I mean, there's no way to act out physical aggression anywhere in our Mm -hmm. society. So all we really have is shunning people or mocking them. It's mocking or shunning. Those are the two, the -hmm. two expressions. Um, Or, you know, eventually for some people, it, the, the frustration gets too much and it does manifest physically. And then we have these great, these great tragedies. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like when you get into an argument with somebody in real life, you have to, at a certain point, things either escalate to the point of violence or physical contact is just broken off altogether and people just go their separate ways. But on the internet, that never happens. And that's why you just have this, you know, kind of building tension and conflict that is never really resolved in meaningful ways most of the time. Everybody kind of gets into these scraps at some point in their, you know, internet career, whatever you want to call it, internet life. Everybody will tr- get into an altercation. And um, m- more often than not, it's because they're hoping, you know, to get some sort of relief from the situation, resolve the tension. But on the internet, you can be whatever you want. And uh, more often than not, people aren't wanting to be wrong. So you, rarely will get somebody saying like, oh, actually your point is right. And I apologize. You do see those moments every now and then though. They're beautiful. Yeah. They're very, they're very rare though. Um, yeah. I mean, so this, this might be a, this might be a good place to end it. Although I'd love to have you on again. Cause I feel like there's, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that we didn't get to that I would have loved to talk to you oh, about. Okay. I'm sorry. I, t- I spoke a lot more. I tried not. No, to no, it's okay. It was, I, th- I think it was great. I think this is probably one of, one of the better episodes. Oh, I, cool. uh, I used to have a co-host and um, she got, I don't know. I don't know what happened, but I, yeah, I used to have you a mentioned, co-host. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I listened to a few happened? of the episodes. I, I liked, um, it was one artist who I didn't recognize, but you guys spoke a lot about incels and I was pretty interested in that. It got me thinking a lot about it. Um, yeah. But this, but yeah. this, I, I, you know, we had a, I had a, I had a good rapport with her. Um, and I think this is probably one of the, the better episodes since her departure. So oh, dude, that means a lot to yeah. me. Thank you. Yeah, uh, anytime yeah, you so want to talk more about this stuff, I'd be I could talk about this for hours. So I'm absolutely willing and ready. Just let me know. Yeah, I, I, I definitely will. Um, before I before I hit stop recording, is there anything you want to plug? Um, you can find me uh, on several platforms. If you just look up four zero four tales, as in like stories, um, I'm on YouTube. It is uh, underloved. Uh, t- getting a lot of love on TikTok recently. Um, you can follow me there on, I have a Tumblr. It is practically abandoned, but I, you can follow me there. Um, I'm somewhat active on Twitter, but really best look up 404 tales, uh, 404 tales on YouTube or tech talk. Cool. And yeah. that's, that's that. <laughs>